Good morning and welcome. If you will, would you please turn to 1 John chapter 5. Come to our concluding uh, teaching here in uh, John, the first epistle of John. And we'd like to read uh, verses 14 through 21 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> How's everybody doing today? We've had some great weather, haven't we? Thank you, Lord. John writing here in chapter 5, verse 14, relative to the wonderful confidence that we have in our Savior. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he, the Lord, will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that, and we'll explain that as we, we look at it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. We'll explain that too. <laughs> we better. <laughs> or we're all in trouble. <laughs> but he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. Aren't you thankful for that? We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Important point. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God in eternal life. And he concludes with this exhortation. Little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Lord, uh, we, we look to you this morning. <clears throat> and we are so thankful, Lord, you have given us, Lord, the, uh, the map of your word and the compass of your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we realize how easy it is in our world today, to sin. But we are thankful, Lord, for your mercy, your grace, your help in our lives. And Lord, uh, I pray, Father, that in this matter that John brings before us today, this matter of prayer, that, Lord, perhaps maybe for some of us that you would teach us to pray. For some of us, Lord, 
that we know how to pray, but help us to pray. Lord, we realize it's so easy to get caught up in our lives. Lord, there's so many distractions. And yet we realize that prayer is so critical, so important to growth, so important to knowing you, knowing your will, and Lord, receiving, receiving help uh, in our lives. And we pray, Father, that once again as we consider these things, that Lord, uh, you would help us, help us to draw near to you. Lord, uh, we realize also, too, as your children, that we can get caught up in idolatry. Lord, prioritizing the wrong things. Things that are not, Lord, all that important, not as important as you. Sometimes, Lord, our lives are wrapped up in trivia. And I pray that, uh, Lord, if that is the case, that you would, Lord, bring us back uh, to that place where, Lord, you become the main focus of our lives. Uh, we need constant help in that, Lord. We, we tend to veer. We tend to drift, Lord. We uh, get caught up in our responsibilities, our duties. And, Lord, uh, we realize that the most important thing in our life is, is, Lord, knowing you, Lord, walking with you, and just following after you in a continual way. So, Father, I pray that uh, regarding these matters, we ask for your, this, the help of your spirit this morning. We have your word here. We want to obey it. Lord, we want to, Lord, run after you and follow you. Lord, may that be the, the, the drive, Lord, of our lives. Lord, not living for things, Lord, but, Lord, living for you. And when we do that, Lord, we know that things will have the right perspective, Lord, in our lives. So we ask these things, Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the Psalms, uh, we're told, and I, I think in other places as well, that God does test the righteous. So in a sense, we really find ourselves in the school of God, in the school of Christ, if you will. And I've wondered if maybe perhaps we could put our prayer lives on a graph. And if it was put maybe before a board of examiners, you know, what would they say? What would they say when they would look at the prayer lives of God's people? Uh, would they say maybe about uh, sister so-and-so, man, is she an intercessor? Or is she a soldier for God? Uh, we see that, uh, man, prayer is a very important, integral part of her uh, relationship with the Lord. Or would, you know, would they say about brother so-and-so, well, we're really not even sure he's a believer. Uh, as we look at, you know, as we look at his prayer life, he really hardly ever prays. Um, because prayer is so essential. Prayer is, prayer is the breath, in a sense, you know, the living breath of the child of God. And we find that the Holy Spirit is always bringing us back and reminding us of this very important aspect of our relationship of prayer uh, as it relates to our knowing God and knowing his will and walking with him and understanding what he would have for us. Uh, prayer is simply the expression. It's the expression of our hearts and our desire to draw near to God, to know him, you know, in a deeper way. You know, I'm thoroughly convinced that without prayer, so many Christian efforts and endeavors, they die in the trenches. Uh, 
maybe perhaps, uh, and I think we've all from time to time had this great idea. We feel like it's inspired. It's from the Holy Spirit. He, I know that the Lord has spoken to me. He's given it to me. But then it just sort of, it just fizzles out. It, it never really comes to a place uh, where it develops into reality. And, and I think when we forget prayer, uh, that's going to happen. There's a lot of things that may be well-intentioned, uh, maybe inspired by God, but when we don't pray, these things will just simply die a natural death. Uh, prayer is something that God is always, I find that no matter, I've known him for over 40 years, and I know you guys have known him for a long time, uh, you, you find the Holy Spirit's always drawing you into a deeper degree of prayer. Um, I've, come, I've come to find out the more I pray, the more I realize I need to pray. Um, so, I mean, don't, uh, when that, if that happens for you, don't be uh, discouraged about that, because as we draw near to the Lord, we get the heartbeat of the Lord. Remember John, you know, uh, when he was at the, uh, the Last Supper, and, he, and, he, and here John's, you know, basically a grown man, but he lays his heart on the, on the chest of Jesus. Uh, I'd imagine what he did, he could hear his heartbeat. And I think that's what happens for you and I when we draw near to the Lord, that we begin to understand his heartbeat. You know, his love for people, uh, the way he sees things. You know, we have our natural perspective, don't we? Everybody has their natural perspective. Uh, but there's a perspective that God wants to give to us that I believe is transferred to us when we're simply at the feet of Jesus, uh, when we're simply spending time. Uh, remember what was Mary uh, who was at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was all upset, you know, because Mary wasn't serving, Mary wasn't working. Um, and uh, one of the times, we always seem to find her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus rebuked, in a sense, Mary, uh, excuse me, Martha, because he says, you know, Mary has chosen the needful thing. And that is a needful thing because, you know what, we got a lot of stuff too. And it's very easy to be like Martha, you know, in our world today. Um, I find it, I can be that way even in ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work, but it's very important. I have found, so I have discovered so many failures in the Lord's work because I haven't really spent time uh, at his feet really praying. And so it's a very important um, matter here uh, that we look at, and, and we look at for the first couple of verses here in this final section of John. And in verse 14, this is the, the fourth time that he speaks about having this confidence, uh, this confidence in the things of God. Uh, first time we find it is chapter 228, then chapter 321, and then chapter 417, and now in 514, he is speaking about this important confidence that we can have. Sometimes the same word is translated boldness. Uh, remember over in um, uh, Hebrews, uh, we're told there that we can approach God's throne to receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Uh, and, and really what he's speaking about without mentioning the word prayer, he's talking about prayer. Because that's what we do, in a sense. And, and there, uh, the writer there of Hebrews is simply reminding us that his throne is a throne of grace. It's approachable. That's the wonderful thing uh, that, that we've come to understand, that God is approachable in Christ. That, that's what Christ was all about. He was showing us, you know, and because of his sacrifice, making God approachable. Remember, on the day of his crucifixion, the veil was torn in half. Um, and basically, the weight, the Holy of Holies, was opened up. Uh, for you and I, a place for, for which the, the high priest could only enter there himself one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And so I think more so probably for the Jewish mind than our, you know, I think, you know, the fact that we say God's approachable, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. 
Um, not to ex all that excited. Uh, I, I know that people are not all that excited about prayer because I'm at the prayer meetings, okay? And uh, they're the most unattended, least attended meetings in all of the church. And I'm just talking about this church. I'm talking about every church. But for the Jewish mind, when, when they understood that God was approachable, it's like, whoa, are you kidding me? That was, like, that was like special privilege and honor, you know, for the high priest one time a year. So this whole matter of, of uh, having boldness and confidence uh, is so critical and important. We need to realize that our God is approachable. I can be confident about that, and I can be confident that he hears me, that he hears my prayer, and also be confident about the fact that, hey, our God is a God who answers prayer today. Now, he says here uh, in verse uh, 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, uh, he hears us. And so uh, there are conditions, you know, for answered prayer. I think the first one is, the fact is, you know, as a child of God, a believing child of God, we have this privilege. That, that's a fact. We have a privilege to come before the Lord. Uh, the door's been opened. God invites us. Um, we, we find that all the way through the scripture, God is saying, come. We see it in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says, you know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy burdened. And maybe perhaps if, you know, uh, we're we've been talking about this of late, uh, having burdens and heavy things that we cannot bear, we cannot carry in and of ourselves. Uh, it may be the fact that you're trying to do that. You're trying to bear these things up on your own, with your own might, with your own strength, to really bring them before the Lord, you know, in prayer, uh, spending time with them and just sort of unshackling your heart. I think there's a lot of worries. I think there's a lot of things that we just sort of, we carry them. We carry them in, in our backpack um, and uh, we're just, you know, we feel like, well, I can't let go of this and so forth. But, you know, you come to find out when you get into God's presence, it's amazing how you feel prompted by his Holy Spirit to just open up, just to relinquish, to let go of things um, that, you know, are just too hard and too difficult for you and I uh, to bear. Now, Jesus said, uh, I think John here is kind of reflecting what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospels. And I'll just give you a few references real quick. You can write them down in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus said this, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What an assertion. What an incredible uh, statement that Jesus would make that and, and just sort of put that out there. Now in chapter 15, uh, he said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And that's why I think also, too, in this whole matter of prayer, the Bible's important, isn't it? Uh, that's why when we usually pray uh, uh, in, in the men's prayer group, and I'm sure the ladies is too, that there's an open Bible before us. I can't tell you how many times I've been in prayer and to look down at the Bible and find myself inspired uh, or inspired just maybe to ask for something that I wouldn't normally think of. In chapter 15, verse um, uh, let's see, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And so Jesus speaking here about fruit that remains. Uh, in other words, answer prayer. Now over in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says again, In that day you will ask me nothing, most assuredly, I say to you that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And I think sometimes too, uh, we may be joyless because we really haven't had the, the experience of getting answered prayer in our life. And I'll tell you what, Jesus keeps reminding us in John here and all the way through the, the New Testament uh, relative to this matter of prayer because God wants to answer prayer. That's why he says that. That's why he kind of puts that out there is the Lord, even more than we want to ask, the Lord wants to answer our prayers um, and to bless us beyond our exceeding uh, expectations regarding the things that God uh, desires to do. Now, the second point here, the first point is simply, it's, it's a privilege. It's an incredible privilege, and we need to see that. We need to understand that. God doesn't give that privilege to the unbeliever. He gives it to the child of God. Um, just like, uh, you know, my grandchildren, they have, they have a privilege, and they don't have to ask or knock on my office door. They just come thundering in. They just, they just come running in, and, uh, and when I see them, I'm so happy to see them. Um, I don't care if they've interrupted me. Uh, I'm just so blessed to see them. And I think, I think in a sense, that's a little bit like God, that he, that he you know, hey, it's Ray. He showed up. He's praying. Hallelujah. It's been a while, you know, kind of a thing. I think God's, you know, I think it blesses his heart because he wants to answer prayer even more than we want to see that, than we want to pray or we even want to see that, that uh, prayer answered. Now, according to uh, Psalm 68, uh, I believe that's a Davidic psalm, even though it's not signed by him. Um, it says this, that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But he goes on to say, but certainly God has heard me. Uh, he has attended to the voice of my prayer. So I think the, the point that we want to make out of this is, is uh, uh, you know, unconfessed sin can hinder prayer. That's what can stop prayer. When we have some issue, some unconfessed sin, something in our life, uh, because sometimes maybe prayers aren't answered, or maybe there's an issue uh, there that uh, needs to be dealt with. Uh, I was just speaking uh, to, to somebody, uh, I don't know if it was this morning or maybe yesterday, well, probably yesterday, uh, when I was at a picnic with a bunch of saints, um, and we're kind of talking about this, you know, this, uh, you know, this whole issue of, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, uh, the things that kind of hinder us, you know, in our spiritual life. Uh, and there can be, you know, unconfessed sin, you know, in our life that we're just, we, you know, we just kind of brush it aside. We don't want to deal with it kind of a thing. And we hope that, uh, you know, maybe it's an issue of, uh, of unforgiveness with somebody out there. Um, and uh, we're kind of hoping that uh, we don't have to deal with it. And, you know, the scripture says, uh, the, the, the Lord was saying that, um, if you have an issue, issue like that in your life, uh, before you come to the altar and worship, go to that person. You know, go to that brother, go to that sister, and get that thing dealt with. And maybe there can be issues like that in our lives uh, that can hinder our spiritual life, can hinder our prayer life, because those things, those relational matters are very a great concern to God, uh, and, and they are to us too, but we feel like, you know, well, uh, they've done something that I can't let go of. I can't, you know, I, I can't find the forgiveness in my heart. I want to tell you something right now. You'll never find the forgiveness in your heart because God will put it in your heart when you determine I'm going to forgive them in obedience to God's word. And that's the importance of being obedient to the scripture and to God's word because when we're obedient to it, God puts in us whatever it is that we lack or whatever it is that we need. Uh, we have to remember that. You know, faith becomes, faith 
uh, is it, 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 it precedes the reality of the situation. Um, you know, when God says, you know, love somebody, that, that to you they're very unlovable. But when you, by faith, obey that, then God puts into your heart, you know, that kind of love and that which you need in that particular situation or whatever kind of situation it will be. So basically, unconfessed sin can neutralize, you know, our spiritual life and for our prayers. Uh, and remember, uh, John says over in first chapter, uh, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember that. I think that's a very important part, point because I think sometimes when we confess our sins to the Lord, we don't feel forgiven. And so we kind of still wrestle with the whole issue. Well, the Bible says if we confess them sincerely, he'll forgive them. And not only that, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, and we talked about that in the last couple weeks. And the third point here, relative to this whole matter um, of, of really finding confidence in our prayer life with him, is that prayer must be based, it must be based upon biblical truth. It's not based upon selfish desires and so forth. And notice what he says at the end of verse 14, which Jesus doesn't say over in the Gospels, but John brings it out here that prayer is basically answered when we ask anything when it's according to his will. Okay, that's, that's, that's a very important template that we need to put on this whole matter of answered prayer. We're not praying for some selfish, you know, uh, Lord, can I have a Rolls Royce? I promise if you give it to me, I'll put a Jesus bumper sticker on it. I promise, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Um, well, something like that is a totally selfish kind of desire. Uh, but when, the things, when, when it's according to his will, he wonderfully hears us. And again, knowing biblical truth, it helps us to line up our desires, right, with God's will. Because why? We know the word of God and, and we know the truth. Now, in verse 15, uh, he says, If we know that he hears us, uh, whatever we ask, we know that we have the peti petitions uh, that we have asked of him. Uh, so he's speaking here in this verse about answered prayer. Now, it's important to realize that uh, God doesn't answer our prayers, and our prayers are basically not answered based on our own accurate analysis, our diagnosis of the situation. Because we don't know all the facts, do we? God does. I think a lot of, I think, I remember my pastor used to pray <laughs> uh, many times. He'd say, Lord, take our, at the end of a prayer meeting, he'd say, Lord, take our prayers. Uh, Lord Jesus, take our prayers and dust them off and clean them up and shape them up and hand them to the Father. And I think the Lord, in a sense, really kind of does that. Uh, because sometimes our prayers are not totally accurate. Because I may be praying for somebody, and sometimes, you ever do this? I know you do this, because I do it. I, I still find myself doing it at times, praying direction prayers. In other words, we're telling God what to do. You ever do that? You, you're just simply, you're telling God how to work this situation out. Lord, I think you need to do this and that, to know all that other stuff with that person. And you know what? God doesn't need that. Uh, that's why um, it's important that we don't preach in prayers. Sometimes I've been in men's prayer meetings, and they become preaching sessions. You know, we're telling God what to do kind of thing. And uh, forget it, okay? Uh, God doesn't need our directional prayers. Uh, we can just bring the person before them and say, Lord, you know what they need. Uh, Lord, you know what they need to bring salvation into their life. Uh, sometimes when it comes to some kind of uh, um, deathly illness, 
um, I don't know, always know how to pray. So before I pray, I ask the Lord, Lord, do you want me to pray for this person's healing? Um, or Lord, are you going to take this person to glory? So I, I, I want to pray. I've prayed for people that the Lord has certainly raised. And that's always my first you know, impression and desire to pray that God would just sort of raise them up, you know, this condition. Uh, but I've been also taught by the Holy Spirit to pray that God would give people dying grace. You know, we need grace to live by, but man, I'll tell you what, we need grace to die by too. And the fact of the matter is, as much as we want to pray that the Lord would heal everybody and raise everybody up, you know what? The mortality rate in this room is 100%. We are all going to die one day. Unless the Lord raptures us. I'd like to go in the group plan, wouldn't you? <laughs> I th that would be awesome. I think it would be awesome because I think we're going to be able to see one another kind of going up, you know, as we're extracted out of here and, you know, we arrive, uh, you know, we arrive on that heavenly scene. Uh, uh, it won't be like Star Trek, you know, like, uh, you know, when they're uh, transferred to one place or the other and ee, shimmering. Ee. It's going to be so much smoother than that and so much more wonderful. Uh, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen for some class of Christians, some group, um, some, if not us, some future group. Um, and uh, what, a, what an awesome experience that must be. So again, I think one of the most important things in this whole matter of answered prayer is our submission to the will of God. Our submission um, of just, Lord, you know. And I tell you what, when it comes to, to, to the whole matter of prayer, there's, there's a thing in us, pride, that doesn't want to pray. We want to work it out. We want to figure it out. But God just says that's the thing about prayer, and it's kind of interesting. I don't always do this, but I do it often. Um, and I, do it, I did it this morning. I just came down to my, 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 my living room this morning. It was still dark. And um, I said, Lord, I think you're telling me to get on my knees this morning. I don't always do that. A lot of times I just sit in my chair. You know, the, the posture, the physical posture isn't the most important thing. We know that, right? It's the internal posture. It's the internal posture of our hearts, that, that our hearts are right. But, but I find, for some reason, I find it, it important for me anyway, uh, at different junctures and different times, to get on my knees. And, and, and it, the, the posture is just reminiscent of the fact that prayer is humbling, isn't it? It's, it's humbling. It, it brings us to a place where we realize I'm on my knees crying out to my God and asking my God for intervention and asking him for help, whether it's for myself or whether it's for somebody else. So submission is very important, uh, whether it's on our knees or whatever the case may be, because uh, God honors a humble spirit. God honors humility in prayer. And I think the other thing is very important, too, and that is a reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Because you know what it says in Romans chapter 8? Paul says this, and uh, I know you've read it. I know you've heard it, but it's important to remind ourselves of it, where it says, likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. A person who doesn't think they're weak doesn't need prayer. They don't want prayer. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful revelation in realizing how weak we really are. How vulnerable we really are. 
Proud people won't pray. Proud people will not pray. They don't see a need for it. But when we realize our weaknesses, oh, the Holy Spirit will help us. Oh, he wants to help us. He's a great helper, a great comforter. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. How true that is. I find it true every day, actually. Do you ever sometimes feel such a, a heaviness about a situation, but you don't know what to pray? And, and Paul goes on to say in this, in this uh, the context of uh, Romans 8 here, that is expressed sometimes just by a groaning. Just by a groaning. Oh, Lord. Sometimes I hear about someone's messed up life, and that very thing comes over me. Oh, Lord. But so often I run out of things to pray for. And I'm thankful for the help of the Holy Spirit. At times, I'm thankful for the, for the help of the gift of tongues because I feel just sort of frustrated and I just express in that heavenly language what I don't know, but I know God is able to interpret that. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints of the, for, according to the will of God. And so the Holy Spirit is a great helper and he will help us. He will help you. He will help me. Uh, he, knows the, he knows the mind of God and he will enable us to pray um, in a way that will be accurate. I think also, too, regarding verse 15, that I think there are many answered prayers that are not seen until some future time. Now, that's a problem for us because we live in an instant gratification society. I remember I was being, when I was overseas in the Marine Corps, send a letter home, get one back two, three weeks later. Amazing, you just punch a few little letters into your phone Bingo. A lot of times I look at responses that come back within a minute. Within a minute. And I think, I think we have a frustration, a certain kind of frustration in this whole matter of God working and our committing our prayers to him and asking him to work in a way. And we have to realize that there's a lot of prayers, folks, that are answered. They're answered. But the answer doesn't become evident, but for a future time. A great example of that is Daniel. Remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 when he was praying? I just want to read to you a couple verses there uh, from Daniel chapter 10. When uh, he's sort of in the spirit and it says, Suddenly a hand touched me and made me tremble on my knees in the palms of my hands. Uh, now this is an angel 
messenger uh, speaking here to Daniel. And he said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have been sent to you while he was speaking this word to me. I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So from the very first day that he prayed, the answer was dispatched. But we know from the context here, as he says in verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. In other words, there was a demonic intervention that was hindering that answer, even though God sent it. There was a demonic agency intervening, interrupting, and for 21 days he did not get that answer to prayer. Gang, you need to hang in there. You need to keep praying. Don't give up. There may be answers to our prayer that don't come for years. In the lives of our loved ones that we pray for over and over and over again, but be assured, God hears. God answers. And like Daniel, um, from the very first day uh, that he was praying, that, that uh, God had answered it. I, I think, you know, I think our prayers sometimes are like messages struggling to get through a war zone. You ever see one of those movies where the guy's got a message and, and he's trying to break through the enemy lines and that, and that sort of thing? I think it's like that in, in the spiritual realm. And so we need to be very careful. You know, don't give up. And also, too, don't just wait for a crisis to pray, okay? So many people, that's the, that is the extent of their prayer life. Now, I'm not saying God can't use that, but I think for the, for the child of God, that shouldn't be the way it is. I mean, even before I knew Christ, I had foxhole prayers. You know, you get into a tight spot. God, if you'll, <laughs> if you'll just get me out of this one. And then five minutes later, after the prayer, you forget it. But don't be a, don't be a person who's just praying. You know, a great story. Uh, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the story. If you ever read the book Unbroken, if you've not read the book Unbroken, you've got to read it. Okay? It, it's uh, the story of, of Lou Zamperini. Uh, Lou Zamperini was an Olympian. He ran, actually, in 1936, he ran... Uh, he was a track star, and he ran in front of Adolf Hitler, and Adolf Hitler was actually impressed by this guy's running. Uh, World War II comes, and so he joins the Army Air Corps then. Uh, he's, uh, he becomes a, a navigator, uh, a, a junior officer in an airplane in a B-24 Liberator. And on May 27, 1943, while they're on a search and rescue mission, uh, their plane goes down in the South Pacific. And this little piece here is called, I Looked Up. They had one of the longest periods, um, you know, of being, you know, being trapped in a raft uh, before they were eventually captured. Uh, if you have it, as a matter of fact, there's a movie out just recently, but I'll tell you what, the book is so much better. The, the book is incredibly awesome. Listen to this little story about Lou Zamperini. Louis Zamperini and two other crewmen amazingly survived the crash of their B-24 in a remote part of the Pacific Ocean. With two small life rafts, six bars of chocolate, eight, pair, eight, eight, excuse me, eight half pints of water, they started on one of the longest survival ordeals ever recorded. 
For 47 days, they faced hunger, thirst, storms, and attacked by an enemy aircraft. Sharks were with them constantly, often bumping the raft. A constant lack of water seemed to be the most trying part of their ordeal. They were often tantalized by showers that passed just too far away, and as they exhausted themselves trying to row toward them and trying to fight dehydration, one would tread water beside the raft while the other two fought off sharks with paddles. They came to a point of crisis after seven days without water. They were, re they were ready to try anything, as Zamperini relates. Quote, he said, in the end, we resorted to prayer. And when I prayed, I meant it. I didn't understand it, but I meant it. I knew, that, I, knew, I knew from the church that there was a God and that he, he had made the heavens and the earth. But beyond that, I wasn't familiar with the Bible because in those days, we Catholics, unlike Protestants, weren't encouraged to read it carefully. At least in my church, we weren't. Yet on the raft, I was like anybody else, from the native who lived thousands of years ago on a remote island to the atheist in a foxhole. When I got to the end of my rope, I looked up. <laughs> and isn't that what happens with us oftentimes? You get to the end of your rope. You get to a point of frustration, and then you look up. Uh, but you know what? It, it, I think it's so important for us because we know the Bible. We know that God answers prayer. We know that God is more anxious to answer prayer, in a sense, if I can use that term. Uh, you're more ready to answer prayer uh, than we are to pray. You know, that's why it's important that we are, we're known to be, you know, praying people. Now, in verse 16, <clears throat> uh, I think it gives us here a little bit of a heads up regarding something that we shouldn't pray for. And uh, we wouldn't even normally say that unless John brings that up here in our context of verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin uh, which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin that's not leading to death. And then he goes on to say, there is a sin leading to death. And I do not say that he should pray about that. Uh, Any way you cut it, sin is deadly. Uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, the wages of sin are death. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sin's deadly. Uh, sin kills people spiritually before it eventually kills them physically. We need to realize that sin is very powerful. We were talking, a couple of the pastors were talking about that this morning, that I think sometimes in churches that when the whole issue of sin is never talked about, it does a great disservice to God's people because they don't realize how deadly it is. They don't realize how powerful it is because we have a tendency in our culture to flirt with these things. We're constantly tempted, and when we do, there's a devastation. There's an impact. That has a tremendous effect, you know, upon our lives. And I think also, too, what he's saying here is that we, it's important to pray when we know a fellow believer is trapped in some kind of sinful practice. What we pray for is repentance. And I would suggest that you even pray. If you feel led to talk to them, that's one thing. But you need to pray for them. First and foremost, and, and what I usually do is I don't even talk to them until I feel totally prompted to talk to somebody about their, a, a brother or a sister that's maybe caught up in a particular practice. Uh, sometimes people, you know, um, come in 
and, and, and tell somebody in the ministry, well, we saw a brother or sister so-and-so in this place, and what was going on was very ungodly. What we'll tell you is this, I pray. Uh, I like what uh, Chambers uh, says in one of his devotional piece, pieces. He says, discernment is God's call to intercession. In other words, if you discern something, if you see something and understand that it's wrong, that's a call to intercession. Not a call to talk about it to, to people. That, that can happen. You know, gossip, oh, you know, I saw so, sister, brother, so-and-so I did. Here's what they were doing, you know, kind of a thing. Um, that's the wrong way to handle it. Yeah, we need to talk to the Lord about it. We need to be praying, you know, for that person's repentance, for God to help them to break. Uh, you know, sin is powerful. Isn't it interesting that we live in a culture where we have labeled so many different addictive behaviors, more so than ever before, uh, the psychological sciences have uh, basically um, you know, observed and, and studied these things, and they see all these different behaviors that are so powerful and addictive and compulsive and controlling people. Uh, and that can happen to a believer. That can, that can happen. Uh, that's why it's important to read the Bible and talk about these things, because if we give ourselves over to something, before you know it, it has a power upon us. It has a grip. And, and, and John talks about, excuse me, uh, yeah, John, is it John? Yeah. No, Paul in Romans, I'm sorry. Uh, Paul in Romans speaks about becoming a slave, that a child of God can become a slave to some old practice or something that they've been freed from and delivered from. But then that, because you, you, all of a sudden, you know, you, you've experienced years of freedom, and that temptation comes, you think, well, I can manage this. I can flirt with it a little bit and get away, and I can manage that. No, we can't. We're too weak. Sin's too powerful. Our victory is to stay away from it. Our victory is to, to continue what? To die to it. To die to the old desires and those sorts of things. Now, also, too, we see here <clears throat> that there are certain sinful or risky behaviors that can also lead to the physical death of a believer. There certainly are. There is. And maybe we even know some stories like that. There are sinful, risky behaviors that, if persisted in, can even bring death into the life of a believer. But I believe that in verse 16, I really believe that he's addressing another condition. I think he's speaking about those who reject Jesus Christ. That's who I think he's speaking about here. Because you know what? There is no other way in heaven other than receiving Christ as Savior. And when we talk about the other, when we talk about another, we would call it qualified unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? That's a rejection of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes to you and he witnesses to you and me of Christ. Because remember, John is dealing with people who have made a profession they made a profession for Jesus Christ, but they become apostates. And I just want to give you the reference for it. It's in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. You can look that up later. That's referring to an apostate. Somebody who's made a profession. That's why when, when the writer of Hebrews speaks about impossible for them to repent, is because they made a profession for Christ, and then they reject him. Remember the story I told you about somebody 
that uh, was professing Christ around the same time I got saved and I, and, I, and I ran into this person like 20 years later. Remember that story I told you? And, you know, oh, how you doing? And that sort of thing. And um, uh, how you doing with the Lord was my response after some small talk. We don't do that anymore. I don't know what my face looked like when, when she said that. <laughs> I don't know. Because I, I, I know what I felt like inside. It's like, I felt like screaming. You don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, as a believer, you can't imagine saying that, can you? As a believer, we say like Peter, where else can I go? <laughs> you know? So the second part of verse 16, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say the prayer, pray for it. Now, th this part he, is not being applied to a brother, okay? A brother or a sister in Christ. Now, he further clarifies in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not leading to death. I guess so, or else we would all be dead here. <laughs> we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, what does he mean by that? Because John said earlier in this same epistle, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. So what does he mean by this? Because I think somebody uh, unlearned in, in Bible theology or understanding of the scriptures would read that and just, you know, close their Bibles and say, well, forget it. I, I can't even, I can't even relate to that. But we know that whoever is born of God or born again does not sin. In other words, a, here, here's the thing. A true believer cannot continue in conscious, persistent, sinful behavior. We know that, don't we? Now, we can sin with the best of them, okay? But you can't keep it up. You can't keep it up. If you got the Holy Spirit in your life, man, you're going to be grieved. You're going to be hurting. You can keep, you know, you can keep up a, you know, a happy face for a while. But eventually, it's like you break. And praise God for that. Praise God. Now, he says the person that's born of God keeps himself. It's because we're kept by the Holy Spirit. That's why. That's how you can keep yourself. And I think when he says keep yourself, he's saying it's keep yourself in line with him. That's what I think it means. Be obedient. To continue to cooperate, you know, with the Holy Spirit working in our life. And he says something interesting at the end here of verse 18. And the wicked one does not touch him. In other words, understand this. That the child of God cannot be possessed by the devil. Okay? Because that's not taught in, 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 in some churches. What's taught sometimes in certain groups is if, you know, you overeat. Well, you got the spirit of gluttony and we got to cast it out. Or if you smoke, you got the spirit of nicotine. We got to cast it out. Folks, it's the flesh. Our flesh is compulsive, obsessive, easily addicted to things. It's just, it's just the old nature. 
The true child of God cannot be possessed by an evil spirit. He can be oppressed. Oppression can come sometimes into the life of a child of God when there is persistent sin. But it's still not possession. What's it say over in Corinthians? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And I think what happens when somebody thinks, well, yeah, I got this demon of that and demon of this, and I have to go now, I have to go to the altar this week and get that cast out, they're not dealing with the real issue. They're blaming it on the devil, so to speak. God wants us to see that we need to change in our, uh, you know, the, we need to let go of the, the old, some old practice. It's interesting how a lot of things don't change until we see the man in the mirror. <laughs> I can't blame anybody else. I need, to take, I need to take ownership. I need to take responsibility. And that's when oftentimes, that's the beginning of God working, isn't it? When that happens, when we own up to the things that are taking place, you know, in our life, in our experience. Now, he says in verse 19, we know the word there is not uh, gnosko that we've seen uh, many times in this chapter. It's the word oida, and it's the word intuitive. In other words, we know intuitively that we are of God. It's the work of the Spirit. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I think this explains the evil that we have in our world today. You know, a lot of people blame God. A lot of people blame God. Why did, you know, some, some tragic, awful thing happens. Why did God let this happen? There's a devil. And he has agents. And they're very active in the world today. Now, what this means when he says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, there's an influence. There's an evil influence that happens in the life of people that don't know God and won't turn their life over to God. And we see that evil being played out in our culture, in our society. See, God has given us a freedom to choose. He's giving us a freedom to choose. And when men do evil things, it's because they've chosen to do that. And God holds people responsible. And the Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity. That's why people say, I can't understand why some man would run into a restaurant with a, with a gun and kill all these people that he doesn't know. It is. It's crazy, isn't it? But there's a mystery of iniquity that, that's taking place out there in our culture, in our society. And we, you know, we can't fully you know, understand all the dynamics in it, but we know that Satan is behind it. And he gets agents, he gets agents, people, to line up with his purpose. You know, when they get angry, you know, when they lose their job or whatever the case may be, or their family, something falls apart, they just want to go and vent all that frustration and anger on unwitting people that don't even know him. The natural mind cannot fully understand that. 
But verse 20 and verse 21, on the other hand, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. See, we can know because we why? We know the true God. The child of God can have an understanding about life that the unbeliever, no matter how educated they may be, there is an education that comes to you and me as a child of God that the world is not privy to. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you can observe and look at situations and assess them in the right way? And I tell you what, the more that I look at things and make assessments, I, it just brings me more and more to prayer. Oh, be careful that you're not looking at folks and judging them. That's self-righteousness. That's total self-righteousness. We need to look at folks with compassion. Look at them with love. We need that, uh, and I think that prayer brings us that divine perspective. Because I don't think we have it naturally. Now, we may have a certain amount of compassion, but there is a compassion that supersedes that. There, there is a divine compassion. And once in a while, you'll find the Holy Spirit prompting you to have compassion and pity on somebody you don't even know. Sometimes I found myself just looking at a person, and I find my, just my heart breaking for that person. And I know it's a God thing. Because I'm just like, in a sense, any other human being. You know, my life is good, everything's okay. And we look at other people, and we see their great need. And that, that's just a confirmation of, of, of the Spirit of God in us, prompting us. And maybe even leading us to, to reach out at some point to those folks. So the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and, and we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So again, knowing him, as John states it, that changes everything. Hasn't that changed everything in your life, knowing Jesus? And doesn't it continue to change things? The, the wonder, the blessing of knowing him and experiencing him. You know, God is so awesome that as we enter into eternity and leave this realm, that's going to be the most exciting and wonderful thing is getting to know him. And you know what? In one trillion years from this moment right now, we will be there with him and we will still be learning. And then for the next trillion years after that, time won't be, not, eternity can't be measured by time. But in all that time, we'll really not fully get to appreciate. No matter how much we know him, he's so awesome. You know, when we meet, like if you meet me, you may know me pretty good in 15 minutes. <laughs> and that's how it is with people but not with him. So wonderful. So incredibly knowing him, but, un 
but not knowing him in a full kind of way. You know, when you know him, you also know yourself. And I think you can accept yourself in a, in a much better way. Because I think a lot of times we go through life and we feel insufficient, inadequate. And we're always comparing ourselves to one another. And, and I feel sorry for, for some and many souls today that take their lives or plunge their lives into drugs because they can't accept themselves. And isn't it wonderful coming to know Jesus Christ? You come to find out that God of the universe not only accepts you, but he loves you. <laughs> it's beyond anything I get my head around. But as we know him, we understand our own humanity. I want to close with a great story. It was on Christian radio uh, this week. And it was basically about all the, the different evils that we're facing out there in our society. And the, and the speaker was saying how important it is for us to understand fallen man. That man does the things that he does because he's fallen. And he quoted a piece from Chuck Colson from 1994 something that Colson said in 1994. And Colson says this, he says, for you and me, the answer to that question uh, is as close to our faith, as close to our own hearts, in other words, the evil in the world. Christians of all people should never be surprised at the evil that affect, that infects every, evil be, every, every human being, uh, even the most ordinary of people. A dramatic illustration of this truth took place 30 years ago when Israeli agents captured Adolf Eichmann. And I don't, just to give you maybe a little bit of a bio on Adolf, Adolf Eichmann, he was one of the chief henchmen of Hitler in the destruction of the Jewish people. But what was so crazy about that was he was Jewish himself. This illustration took place 30 years ago when Israeli agents captured Adolf Eichmann, one of the masterminds of the Nazi Holocaust, and brought him to Israel to stand trial for his crimes, and I, I remember that. Among the witnesses called to testify against Eichmann was a small, haggard man named Yehiel Dinur. He had survived brutal torture in the death camp at Auschwitz. Dinur uh, entered the courtroom, and he stared at the man who had presided over the slaughter of millions, including many of Denur's own friends. As the eyes of the victim met those of the mass murderer, the courtroom fell silent. And then suddenly, Denur literally collapsed, collapsed to the floor, sobbing violently. He was, over, was he overcome by hatred, by memories of the stark evil that Eichmann had committed? No, as Denur later explained in a riveting interview on 60 Minutes. What struck him was that Eichmann did not look like an evil monster at all. He looked like an ordinary person, just like everybody else. And in that moment, Denor said, I realized that evil is endemic to the human condition, that any one of us could commit the same atrocities. 
In a remarkable conclusion, Denor said, Eichmann is in all of us. Chuck Colson concludes by this. This is what the Bible means when it talks about sin. In our therapeutic culture, people cringe when they hear the words like evil and sin. We prefer to talk about the victims of dysfunctional backgrounds. But there are times when it comes obvious that those categories are simply sufficient. Times when the evil of the human heart breaks through the veneer of polite society and shows us its terrifying face. I think as we understand that, it helps us to understand what's going on in our culture. And the answer is Jesus Christ. He was our answer. And I've often said this, when I see sometimes maybe the worst thing taking place in the society and in the culture, there go I except for the grace of our God. This morning, as we close, if you need prayer, God knows your need. God knows your situation. If maybe the Lord has spoken to you in some way about the power of prayer this morning, I'd like to have you stand up and pray for you. Dearest Father, we, we come before you this morning. And we realize, Lord, that your throne is a throne of grace. It's a place where we can come. We can meet with you. We can experience transition and change. And Lord, we who are standing up this morning you see our need, our condition. Lord, you know our concerns. You know our hurts and our pains. We give them to you now, Lord, by faith. I pray for the things that are just way too heavy for us that by faith, Lord, we might be able to relinquish them and give them to you. Lord, we don't understand so much about the life of faith. But we know that, Lord, when you instruct us to believe you and to obey you, even though, Lord, we may not feel or think or see how it's all going to be worked out, we know that you can do it. We believe you. And so, Lord, by faith, Lord, we give to you ourselves afresh this morning. And, Lord, we ask for the blessed help of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd fill every life. I pray that you would bring hope and encouragement. Lord, we, we look at our world today, and there are so many that are hopeless. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have power that we do not have. And so, Lord, we open our lives for grace today.
grace, strength. Lord, you'd meet every area of need. And Lord, that we would be drawn all the more in this whole matter of prayer. Lord, which is simply drawing near to you. That as we know you in a deeper way, we would understand ourselves and understand other people. That it would work, Lord, a humility, a compassion. Lord, to be like you. May that be the reality, Lord. The result, Lord, of our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.